Wow, what a great day to be in God's house, huh? Listen, we're going to be in John chapter 12, so turn there, but you just got to hear this the dear couple working in India starting over 7,000 churches. I'm impressed. If you said, I'd like to give a gift just to them to help them in their ministry, we're sure they're not overpaid. Well, then you just write it to South Shores and put Nepal on the, on the memo line, and, we'll, and there's a basket at the back. You could put it in there, and we will give that to them as a gift just to encourage them and send them on their way. They actually came this direction not primarily to see us, though I'm glad that they're here. They have a son that started starting as a freshman at Biola University, and so they getting him situated at school. So you know it's expensive uh, getting the kid the, the education that he needs, and if you want to help in some way, well, then you just leave a gift there. Well, in John chapter 12, we're in this series called Jesus Is, because the identity of Jesus and who Jesus is is the most important question to answer. It'll determine your now and your forever. And uh, so we're in chapter 12, and we've been looking at all the, the different uh, things that Jesus is, and in chapter 12, He is the anointed one, and uh, Mary gets him ready for his burial. It says in John 12, 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, Jesus knows at this point that his life is going to be over soon. Time is short. So, they didn't use these terms. We didn't think of it then, I guess. It wasn't, this word isn't in the Bible, but Jesus had a bucket list, you know. There are things that he thinks he was going to get done before he, he, he left. And so if you look in chapter 12, Jesus declares the truth to a hostile audience. And then he escapes quickly over the Jordan River to save his life. And then in chapter 11, he comes back at the risk of his own life to Bethany, which is a bedroom community of Jerusalem. It's about two miles away so that he could raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. And then he withdrew to the desert uh, once again with his disciples so he could refresh his spiritual batteries. And he spent time with his best friends. And then... In chapter 12, he's back in Bethany. It's just at the beginning of the Passover week, and they throw up a party for him. Jesus is getting mentally and spiritually prepared to take the journey that God has planned out for him. His journey is to allow himself to be arrested, imprisoned, tortured, tried, crucified, ridiculed, mocked, and to be put to death. How do you get ready for that? How do you get ready to take a spiritual journey? So we can see the preparation that Jesus has been doing. Now I have four or five places that I like to go, and I was at one of those recently and saying, how do I get ready for a spiritual journey? We're going to be uh, using that um, motif. How do, we, how do we take a spiritual journey together? And my goal is that all of us, 100% of us, will say, let's take this journey together to say, God, I love you. And whatever you want with my life, the answer is yes. Whatever you want with my time, the answer is yes. Whatever you want with my stuff, my resources, God, the answer is yes. You are in charge. So let's do a small survey. If you're going to take a big trip, how many people here start planning and preparing at least a month in advance? Oh, yeah, wow. How many start packing their suitcase the night before? Maybe the morning of. Yeah, 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 because, you know, some people plan and get organized and are intentional. Other people, you know, are more spontaneous. I mean, Jesus could return, right? And then you wouldn't have to have packed that suitcase. How many people... How many people, before you leave the house, you make sure your house is in order and you vacuum and clean it so when you come home, there's a clean house? Wow, I thought Cindy was the only one who had me doing that. Um, See, part of our spiritual journey is doing spiritual preparation. 
And I want you to join me doing that. I've been spending more time trying to read all of God's Word and uh, trying to listen to His voice, spending more time in prayer. I want to be sure that I'm clearly hearing God's voice and sharing God's Word with you and leading us in the path that God has for us. And I, I don't want to sound too profound, but you have different thoughts when you immerse yourself in God's Word and you read whole books at one time. I mean, read the book of Genesis and was impressed with Abraham. And whenever God comes and says, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. Like God wouldn't know where he is, you know, but it's, he's saying his heart is ready. God, what have you have for me? And uh, he was a man of great faith, but uh, occasionally he was captured by his own fears and made some horrible mistakes. But God initiated a relationship with Abraham. God inspired him. You have Joseph, who was the favored child in a dysfunctional family, and he was treated unfairly, but he flourished a long way from home, and he was falsely accused, so then he flourished in prison, and he was suddenly thrust in front of the most powerful person in the, on the planet, and he spoke boldly for God. Joseph is the man who later would say to his older mean brothers, you meant harm to me, but God used it for good. Or got reading about Saul, who was so brilliant and so filled with pride, so driven in the wrong direction, and then God stepped in and knocked him off his high horse and blinded him and humbled him, and he comes out transformed into the Apostle Paul, still so brilliant, still so driven, but this time humbled, and he was willing to speak out, even with an unpopular opinion, and he was willing to travel, even to hostile areas, and he was willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, and he was willing to wait and to wait and to wait for God to act on his behalf. In fact, while he waited, he wrote half the New Testament. These people and others have their story in the Bible so that we can look at their lives and their situations and that we can see how God led them on a journey and how God is leading us. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever and how God moves in people's lives and how God uses people to bring his good news around the world. God is not willing that any should perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance and we need to get our hearts ready for God to do a great work among us. So I invite you, if you haven't already, start your spiritual preparations for your spiritual journey. We've been traveling with Jesus, and Jesus knows time is short. He knows he has less than a week. What would you do if you had less than one week to live? Jesus goes back to be with his friends, and he knows that it's coming. You and I often, I mean, you know, the tragedies come our way like a shock. And we think later, if only I had known I would have done this or this or this. Well, get those things right with God now. You never know. You know, in 9-11, when there was a national tragedy, it was on a Tuesday. And the next Sunday, the church was filled with a lot of people who weren't here normally. And it wasn't just true in our church, but all the churches in the country had increased attendance for one Sunday, two, even three. But then people began to feel less threatened, and many of them returned to business as usual. Which for men, a lot of people meant going about their own business and getting around to worshiping God and praying and serving and giving later when the next crisis rolls around. What would you do if you knew you only had one week to live? The time was short. Jesus is getting ready to give an enormous gift. He's going to give his life as a sacrifice. So he's spending time in prayer and he's communing with God and he's spending time with friends and he's gone to some of his favorite places. Look at the first few verses there in John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, we know from other places that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were siblings, and they shared a house, and they had become good friends with Jesus. And Jesus had been their guest in their home numerous times, had eaten with them, had shared great conversations, had brought God into their lives. But one time, shortly before this, in fact, it's recorded in John 11, Jesus wasn't around, and they found themselves in a crisis, and they needed Jesus' help. And so they have a traumatic event going, and they send a message to Jesus, help, hurry and get here. Your friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus got the message, but he never showed up, at least not in time, because Lazarus got worse, and he died. And four days after Lazarus has died and been put in the grave, Jesus walks into town and he grieves with them. And they verbally spanked him for not caring more, for not getting there on time, for not doing more than he had done. And you know what? They never dreamed that God had a much bigger plan that he was working in their life and in Lazarus' life than they'd ever thought. They thought it was a tragedy and God was at work in it the whole time. They took Jesus to where Lazarus was buried, and Jesus stood there at the tomb of Lazarus in tears, and he called out to Lazarus, and he called him back alive, and he called him back into this world, and Lazarus came out alive again. It was the miracle to top all miracles. And so Martha and Mary and Lazarus all loved Jesus. But in this little verses we read, they all expressed it differently. Martha served. She, she worshiped Jesus by serving. She loved to cook. She loved to be the hostess. She loved to set people at ease um, by having them in her home. Lazarus is worshiping Jesus by fellowshipping with Jesus and the other men around the table. Now, we don't know what they were talking about, but if you'd been dead four days and then brought back alive, you know, just getting to the table might take more energy than you really had. And what do you think the men around the table are talking about? If they are talking about Lazarus' death, well, think about it. Jesus knows he's facing death, and Lazarus is an expert on the topic. He's the only one who's been there and back. And Mary loves Jesus just with, I mean, he's changed her life. And she seems given to extremes, and her worship of Jesus that day just went up over the top. It was not normal at a banquet to have somebody get out uh, an expensive perfume that maybe cost them their life savings and lavish it on the feet of your most important guest. This is a once-in-a-lifetime display of her affection. Everybody in the house noticed. Notice just as a little aside how Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, Mary is serving, Lazarus is fellowshipping, Mary is worshiping. We want people here at church to connect in those three ways, to be connected in a worship and in a growth group where they're fellowshipping and in serving other people. But I want to focus on Mary. That's what John did. He's basically saying, don't miss this. The men are all reclining at the table, and Mary walks in behind Jesus breaks open this expensive perfume. It's pure nard. It's an aromatic herb that's grown in the high pasture lands of the Himalayas between Tibet and India, and it's rare. It's been transported a long ways. It's worth about 300 days' wages. So figure whatever you made this last year, it would have cost Mary to purchase that. 
Maybe it represents her life savings. She goes all in. She presents it as an offering of love and gratitude prompted for what Jesus has done for her and her brother and her family. Everybody could smell it. It's an extravagant gift. It's an expensive gift. It's an over-the-top gift. It's a misunderstood gift. Now, something had to have happened in Mary to give such a sacrificial gift, to worship Jesus in such an extraordinary, extravagant way. You know, there was a woman who went by the name of Mother Teresa, and she was called by God to work among the poorest of the poor in the slums of Calcutta, which is riddled with poverty and disease and stench and death and heartbreak. And it was a labor of love. She received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1971 for her efforts, and after that, high-profile guests began to go visit her. And on one such visit, she showed the person her work, and then standing in there, the person said, Ooh, I wouldn't work here for a million dollars a year. To which Mother Teresa replied, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. I mean, she didn't go to Calcutta for the view. She didn't go to Calcutta for the weather. We have some people here from Minnesota today, and we compare notes. I mean, we had 103 degrees this week. That's hot. And I explained we suffered last winter. We had a wind chill down to 66. <laughs> Mother Teresa didn't go for the weather. She didn't go for the money. She went for love, for love of her Savior that expressed itself in sacrifice in her life, pouring her life out into the pains of others. It was joyfully given. Mary gave a similar extravagant gift of love to her Lord. Now think about this. Mary had kept the ointment. Her brother had died. She didn't use it to anoint his body at his funeral, even though she loved him very much. She had saved it even then. She had saved it for a greater love, for a higher purpose, even than the death of her brother. Maybe it gave her a sense of security. I've got this if I need it. I mean... The man in our house just died. Who knows what our future is going to look like economically? I better get all I can. I better can all I get. I better hide the can. Time to be a little bit frugal, maybe even stingy. Hang on to what I have a little tighter. But then Jesus comes to town and raises Lazarus to life. I mean, Jesus took life and trust and generosity and faith to a whole new level, basically turned it upside down on its head. And as much as she loved her brother Lazarus, and is so happy to have him alive again, Mary loved Jesus more. He had given her life. He had forgiven her sin. He had set her free. He had told her the truth from God. He had returned her brother to life. And here he is at the table, and the conversation seems to indicate that time is short for Jesus. It's time to take action. Mary realizes, I've got a moment of opportunity if I'm going to do something lavish for Jesus to show him my love. It needs to be now. And something she's worked her whole life for and saved and budgeted and delayed gratification and preserved, she now pulls the trigger and gives to Jesus in one over-the-top gift. All-out generous. She brings it to the table, which is an intentional decision. What's going through her mind? She comes in the room where only the men are there reclining on the table, so her presence would have attracted attention. She breaks the jar open. She's now past the point of no return, and she pours it on Jesus' feet. Such an action of love. You know, in Jesus' day, perfuming the body was saved for royalty. 
And Jesus is the King of Kings. Everybody in the room could smell it. It's strong. It got on his skin. It got on his clothing. You could smell it for weeks. I mean, think about this in the story. The triumphal entry is a few days later where Jesus is sat on a little donkey. Thousands of people are lining the road, and he's going down, and they're yelling, Hosanna, King of kings, Lord of lords. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's the Messiah. And everybody goes, what's that smell? Is... Is that Chanel number nine or five or what is it? Jesus goes and he cleanses the temple. He's turning over the tables of the money changers. He's pushing the animals out of the house of the Lord and he's saying, this is a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves and you can smell him. He's at the Last Supper with the disciples and they're all leaning in while he's saying, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you and they can smell Mary's gift. He's a trial before Pilate. You can smell it. He's hanging on the cross. The soldiers are tossing the dice for his clothing in. They can smell it. It affected everybody. In fact, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, they will hear about you, Mary, and about your generosity. Now, back when I was in college, I had a friend named Richard, and Richard's girlfriend, Cindy, came to visit. Now, happens to be the Cindy that I later married, but at the time, I couldn't stand her, and she couldn't stand me. She's gotten so much more mature. <laughs> As Cindy was departing because she was living in a different state, she took her perfume bottle and she shook it down Richard's shirt. And he wore that T-shirt for an entire week. I mocked him every day. He smelled just like Cindy. Mary poured her perfume on Jesus' feet. She dried his perfumed feet with her hair, which a woman never let her hair down in public in Jesus' day. But Mary forgot everybody else, cared only about focusing only on Jesus, has this attitude of humility and identification. She didn't care who noticed or what anybody else thought. She is motivated by her deep love for Jesus. And nothing would be too much for Jesus. Have you noticed that people who are motivated by deep love for Jesus serve joyfully and they give generously and they do what it takes and their love for Jesus motivates them to accomplish what is beyond their reach and they're easily misunderstood. Wouldn't you agree? It's like, oh my goodness, show some restraint. You might need that later. In fact, that day there was somebody who didn't understand and he was a well-positioned leader in their little community. He's one of the 12 who's traveled with Jesus. He's heard every sermon Jesus has preached. He probably could preach them. He heard every parable. He saw every miracle. He was on Jesus' finance committee. His name is Judas. Now think about this. In Jesus' group of 12 disciples, there is a retired tax collector, CPA type. But they didn't ask him to be the treasurer. They asked Judas because of his qualifications. And Mary's extravagant gift promised Judas to speak out, to show what was really in his heart. It says verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, and then John reminds us, he's the one who's going to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Judas sounds so spiritual. I mean, it's about a year's wages. 
Certainly in Jesus' life and teachings and ministry, there has been lots of concern for the poor. So Judas is sounding like, oh, he really cares for the poor, but his motivation is selfishness. In fact, he even got the other disciples stirred up. Matthew tells us in his gospel, when the disciples saw it, they're indignant, saying, why this waste? John tells us he said this not because he cared for the poor. He was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was in it. Judas is an example of those who work for God without worshiping God. It's possible. And every church has them, and they're dangerous people. They make people feel guilty. They leave the impression you have to work harder to get close to God. But God has reached out to you. God loves you. He's offered his salvation for you. And works without worship are hollow and empty and self-serving. And that's Judas. He's outwardly religious, but he's inwardly selfish. He's been around Jesus a lot. He knows a lot about Jesus, but he's not in love. It's never touched his heart. He was in it for the benefits he could derive for himself. Mary's generosity has exposed what's really in Judas's heart, and it's very sad, really. In fact, only shortly after this, the Bible tells us Judas started to look for a way to betray Jesus, to make a little extra money on the side. It says, one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment on, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Look at the contrast. One person uses her life savings to anoint Jesus in honor, and the other person sells the Savior for 30 silver coins. Mary's gift has filled the room with this beautiful aroma, and Judas stinks it up with criticism. What does Mary say? Nothing. She didn't argue with Judas. She simply let Jesus speak for her. You know, we don't have to defend ourselves. Jesus can speak to our critics when he wants to. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Judas, if you want to do something for the poor, go do something for the poor. But don't take away what Mary's done. You know, there's always a good reason not to show a great love. There's always a reason. Every one of us has one. My kids, my grandkids, my budget, my future, my security, my fill-in-the-blank. I've given before. I'm sure I'm more generous than so-and-so. On and on and on we go, finding excuses instead of just saying, how do I be like Mary? How do I let my love for the Lord just so overwhelm me that I say, God, how do I do something great for you up, over, and above and beyond. Mary's motivation is love. She worshiped Jesus. And Judah's true concern was only for himself. And Jesus, look at Jesus. He's going through a crisis. He knows this is his last week. He knows this is his last trip to Jerusalem before his death. And when people go through a crisis, we see what is really important to them, what is really in their heart. And a little later in this chapter, Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Wow. How was he glorified? Jesus was glorified by the humiliation of being crucified because he's so in love with you. 
See, by living, he could have saved himself. By dying, he saved you and you and you and you and me and everyone in the world who comes to him for forgiveness and salvation. We need a savior. You have no hope without him. And so Jesus struggled, and we know he did with issues of life and death, of self and selflessness, but Jesus actually gave you a bigger, more generous gift than Mary gave to Jesus. Because he gave his life to crucifixion. And he claimed he was being glorified. Do you know how he's glorified? By obeying God the Father in a difficult assignment that ended in suffering and death. That's love. There's no greater love. Jesus died for you to be able to offer you forgiveness and eternal life for free. And it ended in his death. It's free to you and to me because You can't pay for it, even if you wanted. And Jesus went on to say, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. He died for you. He died for me. What do you do with people you're struggling with that you love? What do you do when you're struggling over important commitments? What do you do about the people you know who don't know Jesus? When there's a price to be paid, what motivates you? Love? Or self-interest? Are you more like Judas? Hey, let's be practical. This is wasteful. There's a better use. Think of the poor. Are you more like Mary? Jesus is the greatest lover in the world. He's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. The best thing I can do with my life, my time, my talent, my treasure, everything is to love on Jesus and to let everybody know I'm hopelessly in love with Jesus. No price is too high to show my love for my Savior. You see... I'm saying today, give your whole self to Jesus. Don't hold back. What are you waiting for? When we stand and pray, maybe you need to come down and meet me to, to, to return to your first love. To say, Jesus, I want to give you my whole heart. Maybe you need to come down just to say, I'm going to invite Jesus in to my life for the first time. To say, Jesus, be my Savior and forgive my sin. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing. If you need to come, then the invitation is for you. You come and receive Jesus. Let's stand together.